Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and tonight, actually, I am not just your co-host. I am your regular host. I am the only host doing this podcast tonight. John is on the road traveling, so he will be unable to contribute to the midweek podcast, at least this week and probably in some of the future weeks. Um, But because of that, we are going to be expanding our podcast of reviews post-game after the weekend's uh, done to also include previews. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I know the Michigan stuff continues to swirl. We, John and I will talk about that um, probably this week in a little bit more in-depth anyway. I just, again, there's a lot of allegations out there. There's a lot of reporting. If Michigan really knew everyone else's plays, that's a distinct advantage that they were gaining from that. And I don't feel great about that, although I'm also not sure what punishment Michigan will receive as generally schools don't get punished very much, no matter what rules they break, especially big brands like Michigan. So we'll talk more about that. But in the meantime, we'll just kind of chill on that one for a little bit. And then in Iowa City, Brian Ferentz is going to be fired at the end of this season. So an interesting move by interim AD Beth Getz that Ferentz will continue to coach throughout the end of this season, but will not be coming back next season. So that just seems like strange timing. It seems like kind of a distraction for the players. I don't know why. I don't know. I guess I don't get what the advantage is to announce this now versus just going to the end of the season and announcing it then. Like I, like I don't understand what you gain from that, um, but it's out there. So I think, you know, as always, when there are things like this happen, they can go one of two ways. One, they can rally around the person and kind of and maybe they rally around Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and things get a little better offensively in Iowa City. Or two, maybe things get a little worse. Um, or they just kind of go along, you know, about the same as they have been, which is not, you know, overly great. Um, but again, Iowa is still a very formidable team. They've got a great defense. They've got great special teams. So they're still going to be in all the games they're playing for the rest of the year. So it'll be interesting to see when Iowa gets around to replacing Brian Ferentz, what direction Kirk goes in for a next offensive coordinator. But in the meantime, I think we should preview these Week 10 games. So let's get right into it. Uh, this will probably be a shorter than usual podcast because normally you get both my input and John's and John is not around this week. So or for this uh, particular podcast. So this will probably be a little shorter than usual. All right. First game we've got. the 8-0, number one ranked in the newest playoff rankings, Ohio State Buckeyes, at the 6-2 Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This is an 11 a.m. game on CBS. The line is Ohio State, negative 18.5. Total yards, Ohio State averages 429 to Rutgers 327. So Ohio State is quite a bit more explosive than Rutgers is offensively. 
yards allowed. Ohio State is allowing just 260, while Rutgers is allowing 277. So both teams are very good defensively. Uh, quarterback Kyle McCord for Ohio State is coming off a game in which he was 17 for 26 for 226 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, two TDs, but two bad picks. So his QBR was a 56. So the stats look good outside the picks, but this was a bad game for McCord, who has played well this year and is completing 64% of his passes on the season. So McCord will look to bounce back this week um, in a big game against Rutgers. Ohio State's starting running back Travion Henderson made his return in the Wisconsin game, and he was electric with 162 yards rushing on 6.8 yards per rush highlighted by a 33-yard TD run. Ohio State is much more dangerous team, a much more dangerous team when they have Henderson stressing defenses, especially on the outside zone play. Marvin Harrison continues to be the best wide receiver and perhaps the best player in the entire country with nearly 900 yards receiving on a per-catch average of 18.5 yards per catch and eight TDs. This dude is electric and unstoppable. Um... My question for Ohio State is, will Emeka Egbuka ever again be healthy enough to make an impact at wide receiver? Because that's my only remaining question for the Ohio State offense. Because if he gets healthy, they go from a great offense to, I think, potentially an unstoppable offense. Because Emeka Egbuka is probably you know one of the top five best receivers in the whole conference. So if you've already got the best player in the conference in Marvin Harrison, and then you throw in another top five wide receiver in the conference... That's a really dangerous offense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, defensively, quite simply, this is the best Buckeye defense in many years and is reminiscent of how dominant they were on the D during the uh, Jim Trestle era, in my opinion. Uh, DNJT Tuamalu leads the way with four sacks. Dude is constantly getting pressure and impacting the other team's QB. On offense for Rutgers, Gavin Wimstad is coming off a game against IU where he threw the ball terribly, but he ran the ball effectively for over 140 yards. That said, 5 for 12 for 39 yards isn't going to get it done against Ohio State. So Rutgers is going to have to show progress in the passing game. Rutgers is a run-first offense, but Ohio State makes it tough to run the ball against them. So... It's going to be a thing where Rutgers is going to, whether or not they can establish the run, is going to be a big storyline to follow in this game. Running back Kyle Manungai for Rutgers continues to have a great year with 744 yards on 5.2 yards per rush and 7 TDs. Rutgers will need to get Manungai going to have a chance to keep up with the Buckeyes. Rutgers needs to control the ball and keep that explosive Buckeye offense off the field as much as possible. The longer Rutgers possesses the ball, the fewer opportunities there will be for the Ohio State offense. Um, can Rutgers get any of their receivers going? Dremel and Jackson have been quiet of late. You've got to find a way to get them going. You're not going to beat Ohio State only running the ball, Rutgers. So... Yes, running has to be the you know the number one and two thing they do in their offense. I think regardless to keep this game close and kind of you know get into kind of a knockout, drag out, old school kind of Big Ten fist fight. Um, but part of you know 
being in a fist fight like that is taking big swings and they got to take a big swings in the form of play action passes. So hopefully for Rutgers, they can get Manungai going. And if Manungai gets going, they can get it to their receivers in the play action game or the RPO game off of that. Um, they're going to need to hit some chunk plays. Uh, is Kyle McCord for Ohio State as QB? Is he banged up or is he totally healthy? Because how he plays will go a long way towards defining how this game goes. Because if Kyle McCord comes out and he's hot and he hits some guys early and he's hitting Cade Stover and Marvin Harrison early in the game for big chunks of yardage and Ohio State gets ahead, if that happens, this game could be over and it could be over quick. So. Another question I have is, can Rutgers avoid turnovers? Because this Ohio State defense is fierce, and they love to turn the ball over. They love to turn you over. And if they do that, and this Ohio State offense gets a short field, you can forget about it, and this game, again, is going to be over quickly. And that's the thing in this game. There are ways I think this game could play out where Rutgers has a chance, where Rutgers can establish the run, where they play pretty good defense, win the turnover battle, you know, hit some chunk passing plays, et cetera. You know, that's a game where maybe Rutgers can can make it happen. But if I look at the way this game is probably going to play out, I think it's far more likely that Ohio State at some point knocks Rutgers out and, and runs away with it. I think it'll be close for a while. I think Rutgers will be tough for a while. But at some point, Ohio State's going to hit some big shot plays and that's going to put Rutgers away. So I do think Marvin Harrison eventually goes off again. I just think he's too tough to stop at this point, no matter who you are defensively or what you're trying to do to him. I think he's just that, that um, transcendent of a player. So I have Ohio State 34, Ohio State Buckeyes 34, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 10. Moving on to the next game, we've got the five and three Wisconsin Badgers visiting Bloomington to take on the two and six Indiana Hoosiers. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Wisconsin negative nine and a half. Total yards, Wisconsin averages 380 to IU's 316. Yards allowed, Wisconsin's allowing 343 to Wisconsin, or excuse me, Wisconsin's allowing 343 to IU's 363. Wisconsin backup QB Braden Locke has shown flashes of playmaking ability, but he's also spent a lot of time looking like a frosh out there. Locke is completing just 49.5% of his passes on a paltry 4.8 yards per attempt, three TDs, and one pick. Wisconsin is led by running back Braylon Allen, who has 754 yards rushing on 5.8 yards per rush and eight TDs. However, Allen had to leave the last game at halftime um, because of injury. Will he be available this week? That will make a big difference in this game as there's a drop-off between Allen and the backup Aker, in my opinion. Uh, Based on the rumblings that I'm hearing behind the scenes, I'm going on the assumption that Braylon Allen is not going to be available to play in this game. And that makes this game a much more competitive game in my opinion, without Braylon Allen um, in just because he is that good of a player and makes that much of an impact of the game. Wisconsin's coming off a game where they had some moments in the passing game. 
but not sustain success. Badgers got to find a way to get Will Pauling, Bryson Green, and or Skylar Bell involved. Wisconsin has got to find a way to complete better than 49% of its passes if they want to have success going forward. Now I do think the QB lock for Wisconsin has potential, so it wouldn't surprise me if he puts things together and plays a little more consistently in some of these upcoming games. Um, and defensively for Wisconsin, uh, safety Hunter Waller continues to just have a monster year with 49 tackles, a sack, four passes defended, and two picks. He is just an incredible player. So got to give it up for him. He's having a big year. For Indiana, QB Brendan Sorsby played really well against Penn State, and in doing so, I think put to rest anybody still agitating for Taven Jackson to get snaps this year in Bloomington. Sorsby had a standout game against Penn State, completing 13 of 19 passes for 269 yards, three TDs, and one pick. That was the best game an IU QB has played all year, in my opinion. And Soresby will have to continue that standout play if IU is going to have a chance against Wisconsin. Because IU still does not have a running game. Josh Henderson managed 57 yards on 12 carries against that vaunted Penn State D, but nobody else made use of it, any use out of their carries. IU has to get the ball to Donovan McCulley, Cam Camper, and now Dequise Carter in the passing game. It's their only chance to be competitive is to make big plays in the passing game. On D, Aaron Casey continues to have a big year at linebacker for IU with 47 tackles and three and a half sacks. So my questions for this game are, can IU stop the run without Allen in? Um, Aker is still a capable back, but it is definitely a step down from a transcendent player like Braylon Allen. So can IU sell out stop the run and force Wisconsin to beat them through the air, which I think would go a long way towards evening this game out because IU can't run the ball, right? IU cannot run the ball. So if they make it so Wisconsin can't run the ball either, then you've got two teams that can't run the ball. Then you've got two defenses. that get to tee off and attack the opposing quarterbacks. So, I think that's the biggest question about whether or not Wisconsin wins this game is whether they can run the ball or not without Allen in, you know, assuming Allen doesn't play. And then another question I have is, can IU continue to manufacture big chunk plays in the passing game? Um, they were able to do that against Penn State, and they, they did scheme up some good stuff, but they are also, you know, benefited from at least one bad blown coverage. So can IU continue to have those big impact plays downfield in the passing game? I think that's going to be important if they're going to have a chance to win this game. Another question I have is, can Wisconsin be more efficient in the passing game with Locke? Locke has had his, show, um, has had his moments where he's looked really good, but he's also completing under 50% of his passes. So his accuracy has been really hit and miss some, uh, so far. And this is a game where Wisconsin might focus more on the passing game. So they might need Locke to hit a little higher percentage of his passes. You know, can he do it? 
And then for IU, can Soresby avoid throwing the ball to the other team? You know, Soresby has shown that he can really play well at times, but he's got to protect the football and he's turned it over a fair amount. And if he continues to do that, you know, IU is not going to win this game. Um, so that brings me to my next question. Will IU continue to shoot itself in the proverbial foot in every game with penalties and turnovers? I think that IU is competitive enough that they can win one of these games, but if they continue with all the penalties and all the turnovers, they are going to continue losing these games. Both teams will have to make plays in the passing game. IU is more used to that style. Which team will be more effective throwing the ball? So here's what I think it comes down to for me. I think that ultimately these teams are very similar defensively. I think the passing games for both teams are pretty similar. In fact, IU might have a slight edge there. Um, But ultimately, Wisconsin can run the football. And I believe the Badgers' ability to run the football is going to be the difference in an otherwise very close game that they're playing without their star running back. So I have the Wisconsin Badgers 23, the Indiana Hoosiers 16. Next game up, moving right along. We've got the 5-3 and three Nebraska Cornhuskers headed to East Lansing to play the 2-6 and six Michigan State Spartans. This is an 11 a.m. game on FS1. The line is Nebraska, negative 3. Total yards, Nebraska, 322. They average to Michigan State's 322, so exactly the same. Very interesting there. Yards allowed, Nebraska's allowing 299 to Michigan State's 360. Uh, So Nebraska's defense is still holding opponents on average to under 300 yards. is really impressive at this point in the year. Nebraska's coming off a sloppy game against Purdue in which it lost several fumbles. They will look to clean things up against a Spartan squad that has lost six straight since firing Mel Tucker. Heinrich Harburg has made some progress last game, completing just over half of his 11 passes for 11.1 yards per attempt, two TDs, and zero picks. Now, Harburg did lose two fumbles, so he has still got a play cleaner. But if he can continue to hit the occasional explosive play in the passing game to go with their running attack, it will only help this offense. For this season... Harburg is completing 51.6% of his passes for 6.8 yards per attempt. So Saturday felt like a real step forward for him and is a day that he's going to want to build on. Emmett Johnson appears to be RB1 at this point in the season as he had the lion's share of the non-QB carries in this offense last week. Nebraska is committed to running the ball with the running back and the quarterback and Michigan State can expect a heavy dose of both Harburg and Johnson come Saturday. Jalen Lloyd stepped up last game and had a 73-yard TD. This depleted receiver unit 
uh, for Nebraska needs more big plays like that to complement a persistent running attack. Because Nebraska runs so much, when they do throw downfield, DBs are often out of position expecting the run. The Cornhuskers need to continue to pick their spots to hit big chunk plays in the passing game. There just aren't many receivers left for Nebraska, so the guys who are healthy have got to make plays. For Sparty, they're coming off yet another subpar performance against Minnesota. Despite forcing a couple early turnovers, the Spartans' offense did little against the Gophers last week. Caden Hauser continues to struggle, going just 12 for 22 for 117 yards last week. That's just 5.3 yards per attempt and a QBR of 39.7. Sam Levitt came in to relieve Hauser and fared somewhat better, going 8 for 12 for 6.1 yards per attempt, one TD, and one pick. His QBR is 89.7. It's worth noting that Levitt had most of his success on his first drive when he was able to use his legs to make plays. After that, Minnesota put a spy on him, which negated that playmaking ability and once again shut the Spartans down. So, while Levitt did play well in relief, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he's the guy you start this week. Hauser has had his moments when he's been able to avoid turnovers, and Levitt coughed it up last week while Hauser didn't. I would be tempted to try Levitt this week as what do you have to lose, but I could see arguments for going with either guy. And if I had to guess, I would guess that Michigan State goes back to Hauser. Uh, Nathan Carter had a quiet week last week with just 44 yards rushing. He will look to get back on track against a Nebraska run defense that has been tough to run on all year long. So it could be another tough afternoon for Carter toting the rock. Um, but he certainly hopes that he can get back to how he was running it a, a little earlier in the season. If so, if it's hard to run for Michigan State, Sparty will have to get the ball to its playmakers like Montori Foster and Trey Mosley. Sparty has been banged up, so the guys who are healthy need to contribute that much more. D.L. Simeon Barrow is having a great year for the Spartans' D, but he got hurt and had to leave the last game against Minnesota. They really need him, so his health is something to monitor going into this game. Both teams turn the ball over a lot, but Nebraska has an identity in that they run the ball a ton, and they won't deviate from that identity of pounding the ball and taking the occasional downfield shot. Nebraska is a great defense. They have to continue playing big on D, as that's where they've excelled all year. If you're Sparty, how do you move the ball? Can you run the ball? Throwing is the best way to attack the Nebraska D. Sparty has to find a way to hit plays in the passing game without turning the ball over, which will hopefully open up plays in the running game. So I think this will be a close game. I, I think Michigan is a state is a talented enough team, um, and they've got some real players on them. We'll see if Simeon Barrow can play. It's definitely he's he's a a big player for them, so it's a it's a big deal whether or not he can go. Um, ultimately, I think Nebraska. If I, if I'm looking at the Michigan State offense, the Michigan State defense, the Nebraska offense, the Nebraska defense, and I said of those four units, which one do I trust the most? I trust the Nebraska defense. 
So because of that, I'm going to pick Nebraska to beat Michigan State 21 to 13. All right, moving into the next game, we've got the number 11 ranked 7 and 1 Penn State Nittany Lions visiting the 5 and 3 Maryland Terrapins. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on Fox. The line is Penn State by 10 and a half. Total yards, Penn State averages 393 yards to Maryland's 418. So we've got two prolific offenses in this game. Yards allowed, Penn State's allowing just 235 to Maryland's 341. So Penn State has a great defense as well. For QB... Uh, Penn State QB Drew Aller, he's coming off a solid, if unspectacular, day against IU, going for 210 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, three TDs, and a pick. Katron Allen had a nice day against IU, while Nicholas Singleton struggled, uh, which he has done of late. Penn State will look to get both its top RBs going against, going against a Maryland defense that has regressed in we- recent weeks. Keandre Lambert-Smith is coming off yet another solid game as he's the star of this Penn State receiving core. Penn State needs other guys to step up so they don't have to just depend on tight ends and running backs to catch the ball outside of Smith. On defense, cornerback Daquan Hardy is having a great year with two picks and six passes defended. Dude has been solid in coverage. For Maryland, QB Leah Tugavailoa had a decent day against Northwestern, going for 274 yards, but on just 5.8 yards per attempt, three TDs, one pick, and he lost a fumble. So decent production, but once again, too many mistakes out of Leah. In his defense, he was getting pressure on him and needs better play from his OL protecting him. Um, so Leah's looking to bounce back against Penn State on the big stage here. At running back, Maryland needs to give McDonald and Hemby more carries as both have been effective in the carries they've gotten. Loxley is always trying to win the game by throwing the ball down the field, but can he just just trust his running game a little bit more and move the ball that way? Mr. Loxley, that would be great. Um, That's been a big problem for Maryland, in my opinion. They won't commit to the running game, which makes the passing game too predictable and allows teams to tee off on Leah and then cause havoc plays, sacks, strips, turnovers, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think a lot of that comes back to Maryland just not committing to running the ball a certain amount of the time. So it kind of seems like we've got two teams headed in opposite directions here. Maryland has lost, after a 5-0 start, has lost three games in a row. And the last one in Northwestern um, is particularly, I think, upsetting as a loss. Um, And then Penn State, who played, who got a win against IU last week, but didn't play all that well. Can Penn State get back on track? Um because they want to have you clicking on all cylinders, you know, when it comes down the pike and they have to play Michigan. So ultimately, I think Penn State is too good defensively. I think they've got too much firepower. And so I think Penn State wins this game 28 
Maryland, 17. All right, moving on to the next game. We have the 3-5 and five Illinois Illini heading to Dinkytown to play the 5-3 and three Minnesota Golden Gophers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Minnesota negative 1.5. So this line started at Minnesota 3 or 3.5, but it's gone Illinois' direction. And my guess, it's due to the injuries Minnesota sustained at running back and now at cornerback with their star corner, cover corner, Justin Wally getting his bell rung and possibly getting concussed last game. At this point, it'll be surprising if cornerback Justin Wally or running backs Darius Taylor or Zach Evans play for Minnesota this week. The Gophers will be a bit shorthanded against Illinois. And who, to be fair, Illinois has injuries of its own with running back Reggie Love and star defensive lineman Keith Randolph still unlikely to play this week. Um, So I hope all the injured players on both teams and all Big Ten teams get better soon. Football is more fun when the teams are at or near full strength, I think. All right. Total yards. Illinois averages 366 to Minnesota's 315. Yards allowed. Minnesota's allowing just 333 to Illinois' 396. So Illinois is giving up nearly 400 yards of offense per game, which is quite a bit. Um, Illinois last game had a heartbreaking loss to Wisconsin in which the Illini led until late in the game when Wisconsin erased an 18-point lead in three possessions after Johnny Newton was ejected for targeting. So Johnny Newton, he will be out for the first half of the upcoming game, um, the Illinois-Minnesota game. So it'll be interesting to see Minnesota, if they're going to score, they might want to try to take the ball. If, if it's cha- a question about deferring or taking the ball first to start the game, Minnesota might want to take the ball and try to score as many times as they can in the first half because Johnny Newton, when he comes back, he's the kind of guy who will wreck your whole offense all by himself. So I think Minnesota should try to score in the first half while they can and have a good plan for what they're going to do when Newton comes back and starts doing Johnny Newton things. All right. Luke Altmeyer for Illinois is coming off one of his rougher games of the year, going 13 for 21 for just 100 yards against Wisconsin on 4.8 yards per attempt. He's got to get back closer to his average of 7 yards per attempt if this offense is going to succeed in November. The good news is Altmeyer Altmeyer didn't turn the ball over, which is something he has done a lot this season. Again, if Illinois is going to make a run at bowl eligibility, they need Altmeyer's O-line to block for him, and they need Altmeyer to take care of the ball. These have both been issues this season, and one problem exacerbates the other. Altmeyer needs to continue making plays with his feet, as he did against Wisconsin, to the tune of 100 yards rushing on 6.4 yards per rush. Caden Fagan is a capable back for Illinois, but with the offensive line as up and down as it's been this year, Illinois needs Altmeyer to make plays with his feet. Illinois needs to find ways to get Casey Washington, Pat Bryant, and Isaiah Williams going in the passing game as none of them did much last game. Defensively, Johnny Newton continues to dominate opposing offenses and wreck drives all by himself. He's a fantastic defensive lineman, as we said. Uh, For Minnesota, 
Ethan Kelly McManus is coming off one of his better games this year, going 14 for 22 for 200 yards, 9.1 yards per attempt, one TD, and one really bad pick, to be fair, and a bad sack fumble. So he's got to avoid turning the ball over. Um, but other than those two turnovers, he was pretty decent against Sparty, particularly in the first half when they needed him to be before the running game kind of took over. Uh, Jordan Newbin was the third Minnesota running back to win an award from the Big Ten Conference this year as he was Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Previous Darley, previously, Darius Taylor and Zach Evans both won Frosh of the Week, and uh, Taylor won it multiple times. Minnesota running back Sean Tyler had a rough game last week against Sparty with the early fumble and a down knee on what should have been a big pass play. But he's got to bounce back this week, I think. You can't expect Jordan Newbin to take another 40 carries next week. He needs another back to take pressure off of him. And unless Darius Taylor or Zach Evans gets healthy, that back is going to have to be Sean Tyler. Uh, for the Gophers, it's all about getting the ball to star wide receiver Daniel Jackson. He's coming off a game where he had 120 yards receiving and a touchdown. Impressive stuff. Minnesota has to continue to get Jackson the ball as he's proven he can get open and make plays week in and week out. Illinois wants to force Minnesota to go away from Jackson and throw it to other receivers like Corey Crooms and tight end Brevin Span Ford, who have been less consistent this year. It'll be interesting to see if Illinois brackets Jackson with two defenders on obvious passing downs or whether they just try to play him straight up, um, as so many other teams have done. So will Illinois trust their coverage guys to make plays on the outside or will they try to bracket Jackson? You know, what are we going to see? That'll be something in the chess game of this, of this football game. That'll be something that's interesting to watch. Uh, Minnesota also has to answer a question of how they play defense. If Justin Wally is out, that's your best cornerback. Will Illinois have success hunting out his replacements on Saturday? Um, Minnesota is going to have to figure out a plan to attack Illinois even potentially missing, you know, your best cover corner. And that's tough. Minnesota linebacker Cody Lindenberg made a big difference in his first game of action back last week against Sparty. Can he continue to get back on track and make plays for Minnesota this week? Because Altmeyer makes plays with his legs and Minnesota's linebackers will have to come out of coverage to make plays on Altmeyer. Whether or not they can limit his rushing yards will go a long way towards deciding this game. So I think this will be a really close game. I think both these teams have a lot to play for. And I think, you know, Brett Bielema is going to pull out all the stops. I think he'll probably hit on a, some sort of trick play early in this game. Um, that'll have Gopher fans shaking their heads. Uh, but ultimately I think the Gophers get ahead. I think having Johnny Newton out the first half gives Minnesota a chance to get a leg up. And Minnesota is very good when from playing ahead with a lead. So I have got the Minnesota Golden Gophers 27, the Illinois Illini 20. All right, moving on to the next game. We've got Iowa at Northwestern. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on Peacock. Line is Iowa negative five. Total yards, Iowa 232 to Northwestern 307. These are the two least prolific offenses in the Big Ten yardage-wise. 
and yards allowed, Iowa's allowing just 315 yards to Northwestern's 351. Sports betting companies have set the over-under of this game at 29.5, which is the lowest over-under total in college football history. That is a wild stat. Do not expect offensive fireworks in this game. This is a game with a record low over under. Um, just incredible stuff. Iowa QB Deacon Hill is completing just 38% of his passes for a paltry 4.4 yards per attempt. Has two TDs and three picks on the year. Hill has really struggled, and they need to scheme guys open for him like they did on the first drive of the Minnesota game. Brian Ferentz is usually good for one decent scripted drive a game. With as low as this over-under total is, whether or not each team scores in their respective opening drives could go a long way towards deciding who wins this game. So do not miss kickoff for this game, folks. We might know pretty early which team has seized the lead and the momentum. Iowa's got to find a way to get running backs Caleb Johnson and LaShawn Williams involved as they were totally shut down last game. Iowa's got to get chunk plays in the running game if they're going to win on Saturday. Wide receiver, wide receiver Deontay Vines made a few catches last game, so maybe they can lean into getting the ball to him and Nico Raggini. That is when Iowa does pass the ball, which I don't expect them to do a ton. Brian Ferentz is in the weird spot of doing his job, knowing that he's not going to keep his job regardless of the results in the field. Maybe that frees him up as a coordinator by taking the pressure off. I don't know. I'm fascinated to see what kind of game he calls, knowing his days in Iowa City are numbered regardless. On defense, all-conference-level cornerback Cooper DeGene continues to have a standout year for Iowa with 24 tackles, three passes defended, and two picks. For Northwestern, this is a team playing with a lot of confidence right now. They were two TD underdogs against Maryland and managed to win the game outright and look good doing it. Brennan Sullivan is leaps and bounds better now than he was a couple weeks ago. Sullivan was elite against Maryland, passing for 265 yards on an explosive 11.5 yards per attempt, two TDs and zero picks. He's got to play big again if Northwestern is going to have a chance against this elite Iowa defense, which forces a lot of turnovers. Brendan Sullivan also led the Cats in rushing as once again, Northwestern gets no push and has zero rushing offense. It's all about the passing offense in Evanston. The Cats got to once again get Bryce Kurtz and A.J. Henning going if they're going to win this game. I also like that Northwestern is throwing to their backs more as those short passes can replace running plays in your offense when the traditional running game is as hopeless as it's been for the Cats. With Henning, you just have to get him the ball in space and he can do damage. Uh, for Northwestern's defense, linebacker Bryce Gallagher continues to have a big year as he had six tackles and a sack last game. So question, can Northwestern stop the Iowa run game? If Northwestern can stop Iowa's run game and make Iowa one-dimensional, um, that would even things out and actually give them an advantage because their passing game is a lot more adept than Iowa's is. So... If Iowa can run the ball, they probably have an advantage. If Northwestern can stop the run, they definitely have an advantage. Can the Cats avoid turnovers in the passing game? Can they protect their QB who will be under duress due to how good the Iowa D is and how one-dimensional the Northwestern offense is? That's the thing about Northwestern. They can't run the ball. And because of that, other teams can pass rush against them most of the time and know that it's going to be a pass. 
and they're going to have a shot at the quarterback. So that makes it difficult for Northwestern to sustain drives because they're, they're susceptible to getting a big sack that can throw them, you know, off their game script at any point. But they've been able to overcome that in recent weeks and be consistent, a little more consistent in the passing game. So you have to give them credit for that. Um, can Iowa find any kind of consistent passing game against an average Cats defense? I think Iowa, not just for this game, but for the games to come in November, they have to find a little bit of a pass game to go with their running game. They've been unable to pass it hardly at all outside of the first scripted series of a game. So hopefully they can find a way to throw the ball a little more effectively. Ultimately, I think this is a close game. I think both defenses are going to make a lot of plays in this game. Um, but ultimately, I think Iowa's going to break one big running play. One big play for a touchdown, as they often do, and that's going to be the difference. So I've got Iowa 13, Northwestern 9. And for the last game of the day, we've got... The two and six Purdue Boilermakers at the number three ranked eight and oh Michigan Wolverines. This is a six thirty PM game on NBC. The line is Michigan by thirty two and a half. Total yards, Purdue averages three hundred and forty nine to Michigan's four hundred and twenty two. Yards allowed, Purdue is three eighty one, which is the second worst in the Big Ten outside of Illinois. Michigan at two twenty seven leads the Big Ten in fewest yards allowed. So the matchup of this Purdue defense squaring up against this Michigan offense could lead to a lot of points for Michigan. Purdue quarterback Hudson Card is a good player, but he spent the year running for his life because his O-line just cannot protect him. I genuinely feel bad for the guy as there's no way to know how good he could really be if he was in an offense where he got any kind of protection from his offensive line. Against Nebraska, he was 16 for 32 for 100 yards at just 3.3 yards per attempt. That's wild. That's a wildly low yards per attempt stat, and it takes a lot of different contributors to make a passing game that ineffective. And I don't see at this point how it's going to get better for Purdue. They need a combination of new players and player development on the O-line, and those are off-season things. So I'm not sure how Purdue is supposed to compete with anybody in the Big Ten, let alone Michigan. Devin Mockabee was effective last game, but he didn't get enough carries. Tyrone Tracy really struggled last game, and they need him to bounce back in a big way if they're going to win some games down the stretch. Deion Burks at wide receiver for Purdue needs to have a big day catching the ball after he had just two catches against Nebraska. Uh, the problem, of course, is that Michigan is great at everything. J.J. McCarthy at QB is completing an unheard of 78% of his passes for 10.6 yards per attempt, 18 TDs to just three picks. Star running back Blake Corum had a quiet day and the dominant win over Sparty with just 59 yards on 3.9 yards per rush and a TD, but he will need to get back on track and make some bigger plays if Michigan's going to make a run at a Big Ten title and a national title. You can't ask J.J. McCarthy to do everything, Last year at this time, people were talking about Corum like he was a Heisman contender. I'm not saying he is that this year, but he is a phenomenal running back, and Michigan will need that ability to run the ball when it gets into big November games like Penn State and, of course, the game against Ohio State. 
wide receivers Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson and tight end Colston Loveland made up make up arguably the most complete group of pass catchers in the conference. And I think this is a game where Purdue is just in a total rebuild and Michigan is clicking on all cylinders. So this is about as bad of a mismatch as you could possibly have. I think Michigan's going to move the ball on offense with ease. I think they're going to score points. I think defensively they're going to get stops because Purdue's offense has been really struggling of late to figure out what what kind of identity it has and just their offensive line play makes it impossible for them to have any kind of positive offensive identity. So, and Michigan's defensive line is terrifying. So it all kind of comes together to be a one-sided sort of blowout. So I have got the Michigan Wolverines 56, the Purdue Boilermakers 3. All right. Well, thanks so much for rocking with me. This was a wild adventure doing this by myself. Um, Don't worry. John will be back this weekend to review all the games. And after we review all the games, we'll also talk. We'll also preview the upcoming week's games a little bit. So it'll be a whole new experience, but we think you'll enjoy it. Um, That podcast may come out on Mondays now instead of the normal Sunday. So bear with us if that is the case. And thank you so much for hanging out for We Live for Saturday. I am your host, Mike. I hope you have a wonderful day. Get excited about Big Ten football. And I'm excited to come back and talk about it with you after all the games this weekend. Take care.